17 years ago, almost to the day, Radius Church was birthed. Certainly didn't look like it does now. We didn't have the stuff that we can use, all this great technology and all the people and relationships and facilities that the Lord has blessed us with. And really, it was just 12 of us. There was six adults and six kids. All the kids were mine, uh, meeting in an apartment right down near downtown Lexington. And we hung out at my house and we had a good time and we dreamed about what God may do in the future. Over the years, God has amazed us. He's taken that tiny little seed and he's produced just tons of fruit. We've been talking about this pronoun, capital W, capital E. Well, at the beginning of Radius, we would have been a very small W, a very small E, and we continue to be that because, because the church has been so massive and powerful for so many years. For 2,000 years, the church, even when it's meeting in houses, has reproduced over and over and, and changed empires, literally, because of its influence. And so we get together today in a variety of spots, and we celebrate that pronoun we because we're connected to the church, and more importantly, we're connected to Jesus. Uh, this is the last Sunday of small group signups. And so I want to remind you that Radius Lexington, that you, you started as a tiny little small group in an apartment, three-bedroom apartment just right down the road, just six adults. And so we love each other. Uh, some, some of the folks that were in that little group, I still keep up to this day. So there's all this love and, and joy and even service to one another. But we also produced fruit. We died to some of our desires and we produced fruit and God uh, blessed. I don't know if you guys know this, but White Knoll, over at Radius White Knoll, there's a group of a few men that used to meet in a parking lot over in Red Bank and pray for the, de for the geography of White Knoll. And then uh, a little larger group came. So maybe 50 ended up going over to start Radius White Knoll. I don't know if you guys out at Radius Saluda know it or if everybody knows it, but there was a small group out in Saluda far before there was ever a Radius Saluda. And they eventually dreamed about loving and reaching their geography. Rocky Creek, y'all a little different. Your group was really, in some ways, started at Lizard's Thicket with a group of men getting together to pray in a small group. But then, as Ryan felt called to go lead that church, there's a big bunch of 100 or so, 120 that chose to go. And so this group went out there and established Radius Rocky Creek. Right now in Irmo, if y'all don't know it, there, there's this group of about 100 that gather on Sundays. It started with a group of about 12. Over at Roy's house or Trey's house, they were meeting in a small group. And God's taken those times of love and focus on God, and he's multiplied it. Right now, we're uh, beginning a Radius downtown. I can't wait to tell you the story of Radius downtown. Uh, as they get ready to, to launch and love their geography. So we get together today, and we're doing this all together, all the Radius churches right? We, we really function as one church with this variety of congregations. It's really cool because Radius has a personality, but each of the Radius churches have personalities themselves, like we're unique also. And so doing it together takes some effort. And we, we do this to do it together and get, put energy towards staying together. But we also take our little personality and plug it into the spot of the Midlands where we belong. And we, we love that town. I've been looking forward to telling you this story. 
I've been, kept it in my pocket for multiple weeks. It's been, I've teased it a couple times accidentally, but I've been looking forward to telling you a we story about Radius Church. We said we serve, we love, and today we really want to use this kind of strange, maybe a little provocative two-word uh, phrase, we die. Uh, so it's been really since the beginning of the year. Cheryl was doing what she always does. Cheryl's my wife, if you don't know, and she's, she's walking the neighborhood, and uh, she's got her head up. And I, I just want to remind you at Radius, that's what we do when we walk the neighborhood, when we're out and about. We got masks if necessary, but our head's up. We are looking to see what God might be doing. So she's walking, getting exercise. My wife likes to talk, so she's, uh, she sees Teresa, one of our neighbors, who's also walking. And interesting enough, she knows Jesus, and she's got her head up. She's wondering what the Lord might do. It's not like they walked out the door looking for a miracle, just wondering what the Lord might do. And Cheryl, as she's walking with Teresa, my neighbor, told Teresa this really cool story, and I, I hope you remember it. The Chapel of Redemption on Platt Springs over in Red Bank gave us their building. Uh, not too many years ago now. And uh, we've been using it to please the Lord with Radius White Knoll. So Cheryl told that story, just having fun walking. That's just how Cheryl is. She's just talking. And uh, Teresa had this pretty amazing statement that we're going to celebrate here in just a minute. She said, my church needs to do that. Thus, this, this idea we die. When we say we die, it doesn't mean necessarily go away. But for Christians, there's this ongoing question. If it's better for the kingdom of God for, for us to relinquish control and hold our hands open with our resources, in this case with some facilities, uh, with the hours of our week, then, then we have to ask this question. Should I relinquish control? And Southside Baptist Church, downtown Columbia, was asking this question. Should, should we relinquish control? And so Teresa and Cheryl began to have a conversation, and pretty quickly I got to get in the car with Cheryl and drive down to Southside Baptist Church. If you want to know where it's at, 702 Whaley Street, uh, and I got to meet Mr. Billy and Miss Betty, and we hung out with Teresa, and we got the tour of the place. You won't believe this place. It's a beautiful building. It will be by far the most beautiful buildings of all of the Radius family. It uh, has a gym. It's got a couple houses on the property. And perhaps for us, because we love our geography, it's just located right on the campus, right beside the old Olympia Mill, which is now student housing. The, the fraternities and sorority housings are literally just, just a couple hundred yards away. The football stadium is a little bit that way. And the basketball ring is this, a little bit this way. And the baseball field is a little bit this way, right in the middle of activity on the south side of the campus. And uh, we hung out and we prayed. I don't know if you've been participating, but it's something that Radius has been doing for uh, years and years, all 17 years, we pray. And so uh, not too long ago, we've started praying to potentially have influence on the campus. And what's really cool is the folks at Southside Baptist were asking the question and asking the Lord how could they pass the baton to someone who would also want to reach their radius downtown. And so we began having conversations, and we've been having them for, for a few months now. And today I celebrate with you the fact that Radius Southside will exist uh, really starting right now. 
Southside signed over there, all of their properties to us. Um, we came up with this name to share, just like we have a Radius White Knoll, we now have a Radius Southside, and we're going to merge the folks from Southside Baptist Church into Radius, and we're going to get after it downtown. Some of you guys have met Scott Shuford and Jess, and so if you want to begin to pray for them, they're going to begin to stir on this new campus that we own downtown. What's pretty cool is that for 17 years, this is our 17th birthday, we've been loving, serving, and even dying at times, relinquishing control of stuff that we have here at Radius. Well, pretty cool to have a church merge into us that's over 100 years old, has 100 years of history. Literally, when you walk in the front doors, you can see the old Sunday school classes. They got these pictures in the 20s and the 30s of folks that established, that relinquished control of their resources to plant that church and build that building. And today, we get to leverage all of those 100 years into our little 17 years. And we, Radius Southside, get to go after it downtown. We couldn't be more excited. So a couple, couple things for you to know. The seed's being planted literally tonight, September the 13th. Students will be begin meeting in that gym. There may be 10, there might be 20. We're kind of hoping for 50 by Christmas. So if you know a student at Carolina, that this would be a great spot for them. It'll be 7 o'clock Sunday night. Uh, in the gym at 702 Whaley Street will the, be the beginnings of a student ministry, a student service, a radius student service that you could send them to. And then we're going to begin some renovations. So you can begin to pray for us as we renovate some of the facilities. It's been immaculately kept. It needs a little updating. So that process will begin. So you be praying about that. At some point, we're going to give you an opportunity to give to the renovation of this facility. But we hope to open, and this is tentative, of course, January 17th. 2021, get all the way past 2020 and uh, open it up and start Radius Southside. So for some of you, you need to start praying about whether that would be the place that you would attend and not only attend but own and uh, produce fruit downtown Columbia. So what we really do here at Radius is we, we, we have this mission statement. Uh, we exist to glorify God by planting churches making disciples, and living generously, right? We, that planting churches one's pretty interesting because our, our whole deal is kind of a hybrid. So we, that plant word really jumps off the page. And downtown, it's going to start with a small group. There were 11 students there Wednesday night talking about Sunday night. There's, there's about 50 folks down there on Sunday mornings right now meeting pretty casually, and they are planting a seed for the future of Radio Southside, something that we one of the reasons we want to do this all together at Radius can celebrate together because our stories are connected to their stories. I wanted to read you this passage uh, from Mark because I wanted just to remind you that our Savior lived this. He relinquished control. He, he as we all know, died. And the Scripture is actually going to teach us as followers of Jesus that we should die too, die with him. This is uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 36. It says, it starts with pronoun they. Let me remind you who they are. They are the 11 disciples, maybe a few other stragglers along, but the 11 disciples, Judas is gone. Jesus has called them. Remember, his 
brothers, sisters, and mothers. He's, I, remember when he pointed to them just two weeks ago and said, you're part of my family. So it says, they went to the Olive Garden, which includes Olive Grove. I went to the Olive Garden to eat. They went to the Olive Grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. So you can imagine uh, the 11, you'll see it's just going to be eight. They sit down, and maybe some other stragglers around, they sit down and let Jesus go ahead and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, three of them, uh, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. That word for troubled right there, if you go back and look at the Greek a little bit, the idea is that he's overcome with horror, which, you know, like we've not seen Jesus overcome by anything in all of his ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We don't see Jesus overcome with anything. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pray, and it says that he's overcome with horror. He told them, speaking to Peter, James, and John, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What is, what is the grief? I don't know about you, but I, I rarely talk about grief unless I'm at a funeral. And then I talk about the grief that folks are suffering. We've got partners all over the Radius family that have lost a loved one recently. We could name their names at each of our congregations. And they, they're some of them are still grieving that loss. And Jesus says in this passage that he's crushed with grief. It seems like he is dreading the separation that he's about to experience from the Father on the cross. He's already got in his mind. He sees this moment where that love relationship that he's enjoyed for all eternity is going to be broken on the cross. He says they went a little further and then he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it is possible, the awful hour awaiting might pass him by. And then Mark quotes him. Jesus says, Abba, Father. If you wanted to put that into our dialect right now in English, you'd probably say Daddy. Like you'd be intimate and affectionate. Not, not just Dad, not just Father, but Abba, Father. Daddy, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. There's a metaphor in there Jesus uses. He says, please take this cup. Think of a cup. It, it's, it's full of a liquid, and, and that liquid seems to represent, as you look across the body of the Bible, the wrath of God for human evil and Jesus has his eyes fixed on that cup full of the wrath of God for human evil. And he knows all about God's wrath. I want to remind you that Jesus is the Son of God, right? He's a part of the Trinity. So we got friends, and, and some of us are married, and we have spouses. We know them really well. But we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit knowing each other completely and wholly to the point where they're one God. One God, the Bible teaches and Jesus has his eyes fixed on not God's love, not his mercy, not his grace, not his omnipotence, not, not his omniscience, that he knows everything, not the fact that he's all present, right? Not that he's holy and we could go through the list that he's immutable. He never changes. We use words for God like sovereign that we can barely explain. He's so big we can't even hardly explain him with these words. He's focused on this one part of God his wrath. Why is that? Because he's anticipating going to the cross 
in bearing the wrath of God on our behalf. Just for some of y'all that might be a little confused why we worship a God that is full of wrath, I just want to remind you, you, you can't be a God of love unless you're also a God of wrath. If you love somebody, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know that when somebody that you love is attacked, there is you go from th this love that you have for them actually throws you into motion and you go to their defense and you go to their defense with a fury, right? Say something about Cheryl. <laughs> I'm ready to go. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's just right under the surface because I love her. You say something about her, I'm ready to go to her fence. Occasionally I say something that I shouldn't say, but, but you can't because I love her, right? And I, I'm a, my, the wrath of of 185 pounds comes out immediately. All my mind locks in. Every comment I can think of just comes right to the forefront because I love her. And our God, because he loves us, he hates sin. And the bad news for me and you is that we were born into sin and it didn't take us very long to prove that we were sinners. And so therefore he hates what we're about even though he loves us. <laughs> it's, it's complex. And Jesus looks at that cup of wrath that we deserve. He knows how infinitely horrendous that wrath will be. And he asks God to please take that cup from him. And then there's this little word, yet. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. What's he do? So he's got his desires. He doesn't want to suffer like a lot of us. He, he, he doesn't want to go through the, the difficulty and the horrendous suffering on the cross. He, he asks, but then he says, hey, but not my will, my ultimate will, my deepest desire even as a man, Jesus says, is to please my Father. That's what I, what I really want to do. So I will, I will go through the difficulty to please you. Uh, Tim Keller says it like this. In the end, he's, Jesus, obeying. He's relinquishing control over his circumstances and submitting to the will of the Father. It's a great line. <laughs> it's really what we see Southside Baptist Church doing right now. They have done so much work on that building for almost 100 years. There's a group of men there that take care of that property day in and day out, and they, they really love it. And so it's this there's something special to them. And so for them to relinquish control, well, it's a beautiful thing to see because they look like their Savior, Jesus. The one who would take, uh, he would let go of the control of his life. He's sovereign. He could stop this on a moment, but he wanted to please his Father. And he accomplished his deepest desire because he loved us and he wanted to save us. The passage in Romans that brings that further to light. It's, uh, man, I'm going to tell you, it's Romans 6. And if you got time, you have time. <laughs> Later today, pull out Romans 6 and read through it. Read through it with your family. I've been reading it to my granddaughter. So it's, it's kind of cool to sit there and read it. This little chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 6, has led many to the Lord. Like people, lives have been transformed. Over the last 2,000 years, somebody will read to them Romans 6. It doesn't need a whole lot of comment. And as he or she reads this passage of Scripture to them, uh, they get it and they believe and they're changed forever. I want you to check it out.
<laughs> One of the things that I loved about it, because we've been talking about this capital W, capital E. I'm going to read you just, just four verses and nine times in the four verses he's going to use the pronoun we. Check it out. Since we have been united with him in his death. Remember united. We're united with Jesus. Remember him pointing to the disciples. We, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. That I <laughs> annoy you with all the we's. There's this pretty cool attitude as Paul is trying to explain to us, certainly to the Romans and the churches there. He's trying to connect us to Jesus as Jesus has already said is true, that we're united. But then he connects us at a, at a whole new level. He connects us to Jesus' death and to his burial and to his resurrection. <laughs> it's uh, mind-blowing. If you would with me, uh, imagine yourself as a long ch young child, maybe, maybe eight or nine-year-old boy or eight or nine-year-old girl. And Jesus, as a grown man, comes along and takes your hand and he walks you toward the thing you fear the most in this world, death. So, so he's got all the confidence, and, and you are already beginning to understand as eight or nine-year-old that you should fear that. You don't fully understand it yet, but you know that you should fear that. And he walks you toward it. Now, he knows much more about death than you do. He understands that at death, when this heart stops beating and I stop taking in oxygen, uh, I am going to have to face God. And if, if I don't have an answer... To his holiness, I am going to meet the God of wrath. Jesus fully understands the horror of that moment when you could meet the wrath of God because he met it. And so he takes my hand. You know, his hand's got a little scar on it, right? He, from, from where he hung on the cross. And with that hand, he walks me to death and walks me straight through death right by God's wrath because he endured God's wrath. And then, then he literally in this passage wants us to, we, we really going to be all dead with Jesus in the grave and then rise again and live a life on this planet that's like no other. We died. And believers, if you know Jesus, if you're a partner at Radius, oh, it's our job to die. It's our job to relinquish control because it's what our Savior did. But this passage actually says legally, we die. We died. So, so that when somebody comes and tries to accuse us, they, they cannot accuse us. There's a story told of, a, of the Civil War. Evidently, uh, during the draft in the Civil War, if you had some cash, you could pay somebody else to go to war for you. So there's a story of a soldier that uh, was drafted and he was wealthy, and uh, he decided to pay somebody else to go to war for him, and that young man was killed in battle. And so he got drafted again. So, so the rich guy got drafted again, and he came to the draft board, and he had the death certificate of the young man who died on his behalf and told draft board, you can't draft me again, I'm dead. 
So really in a legal sense, he's already dead. And because of that, he can go on living free during Civil War days. And that is what you and I do. We walk around the planet as followers of Jesus, already dead, buried, and resurrected. We walk in new life with Jesus that is supposed to set us apart from all others. So because, because we had to relinquish control with Jesus to the point of death as he walked us to it, man, we ought to be the least offended people on the planet. We ought to be the most loving group of people there ever was. And that was his intention. Check it out, verse 9. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives. He lives to the glory of God. And let, check out verse 11. So you also, me and you, the we, should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Let me just tell you, if you haven't met Jesus and you're sitting there and you're watching this on video, it's kind of odd. You're sitting with a bunch of people. A lot of those people have met Jesus. And I want to challenge you something. Watch them. Watch them. See what they talk about. See if there's some life to them. Because according to this verse, if they've been saved, then the power of sin, you, that they are dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You ought to be able to see it. And I'll be straight with you. If you watch it for a little while and you don't know Jesus, you should want it. And I'm going to tell you something. He wants you. He wants you to join the we. And the we's not just us, the church. You look at us, you know we're a little jacked up, even though he's transformed us. The we includes him. He's the head of the we, the church, and he wants to know you. Hey, if you've been walking for, with the Lord for a while and maybe, maybe your walk's a little flat and you're cowering against the enemy, sin, or against just wanting to walk the neighborhood with your head up, because you don't want to relinquish control anymore. You don't want to follow Jesus in this crazy statement, we die. And I want you to just examine these verses again because all the freedom comes from dying with him. Now, if you've already believed, then that's done legally, but you still have to live in it. There's a great series done uh, on World War II. It's called Band of Brothers. Episode 3, kind of the star of episode 3 is is a uh, young soldier, last name Blythe, and Blythe cowers in the field. And literally, they've got this scene of him in a foxhole, and he is afraid of the battle. He's down in there screaming and crying, bullets flying everywhere. He's in the hole screaming and, fly, uh, and crying, and Lieutenant Spears comes up and yells down in there and starts a conversation, shooting his gun up above the foxhole while this guy's in there screaming and crying. And Lieutenant Spears has this great line, uh, I don't know if it's actually accurate if it ever really happened, but he says, Blythe, the only way you can fight in this battle is to understand that you're already dead. When you embrace that you're already dead, you're going to be able to fight. And then there's this, this transition where Blythe begins to gain courage because he, he recognizes that he's already dead. The followers of Jesus, we're supposed to walk the planet like we're already dead. Good news is we were also buried, according to Romans 6, and we rose again. And so we walked a planet with a freedom nobody else can have. And I hope that your social media feed reflects that. 
I hope that you don't promote all kinds of garbage that would argue different than that. Because we're supposed to be walking the, the planet as lights of Jesus Christ. Man, at Radius for 17 years, we've been battling to do that. We've served. We've loved. We've done it. You know, at times great and at times not so great. And today, we together want to again make a statement that we die. And I am honored to stand up and watch the example of Southside Baptist Church relinquish control of all of their stuff to us of all people, right? To further the gospel on the south side of the campus downtown because they love Jesus and they want to follow Jesus. And you and your heart, it's a great time to ask that same question. What do I need to die to? Take your time with that one. Talk to your campus pastor about that one. Reach out to one of us through the website about that one. We look forward to talking to you about it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your death. We celebrate it with communion today. As we come up and take the bread and juice, Lord, we remember that you died and that your death satisfied uh, your Father and his wrath and his holiness so that we could be called sons of God ourselves. Thank you. We love you. And we trust you. And even in this moment, Lord, as we examine our, our, our lives, we hold out our hands and we relinquish control again. and We give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.